0: I invite you now to turn with me to our sermon text, which will be from Psalm 57. Psalm 57, verses 1 to 11. Hear now, God's holy and inspired word. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God, Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. thus far, the reading of God's word. um I just realized I forgot the prayer of confession, and I would since it's one of my favorite parts, and a very important thing, um I would implement it into that prayer if you don't mind, let's pray, O oh Lord, our God, we come to you as your sons and daughters and as your servants, grateful for the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ, and yet aware of our continuing need of your grace, we confess that we have sinned against you, we have broken your commandments, we have fallen short of your glory. We have not loved you with all our heart, with mind, soul, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We admit that many of us struggle with anger, We've been hasty with our temper. We berate and speak harsh words. We say things that we regret. We self-righteously think we are right and the other person is wrong. We confess that some of us are prone to blame others. Maybe the, the object of blame is another person. For a few of us, we blame you. We blame you, Lord, for the really hard situations you left us in. We blame you for the dysfunctional family we grew up in or for not providing enough for us. We blame you forgiving us forgiving us a hard spouse or a hard boss or difficult roommates or difficult children. At times we have been angry and impatient with our spouse and children. As older saints, some of us struggle to trust you with our failing health. Some of the singles amongst us have turned marriage into an idol. And as workers, we admit that many of us have grumbled and complained against our our boss and supervisor. We confess that a few of us have gossiped. We confess that some of us have envied and been jealous. We confess that too many of us fear others more than we fear you. We make idols out of other people's opinions. We listen to them far too quickly and are slow to hear your words, Lord. How foolish we are to sin against you. But how grateful must we be that instead of rightfully taking everything away from us, you, have, you gave us your only begotten Son as the propitiation for our sins so that we can come to you as your children asking for forgiveness. And you promised to forgive us and cleanse us. You promised us even that you will lead us and, and protect us. And so we come before you this morning asking for your forgiveness, knowing that in Christ you have provided everything that we need. And so we also thank you for the word that we hear and the means of grace and that you have promised that you will feed us and build us up in holiness and comfort. And that is our prayer now as we listen to your word. Help us to live a godly life uh, to your glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvin once said that there are seasons when we are permitted to enjoy the calm sunshine of prosperity, but there is not a day of our lives in which we may not suddenly be overtaken by storms of affliction, and that is true for for any of us. Or any of us, and it describes well the psalm that we have before us, Psalm 57, where we find David here in in such a time where he is. Afflicted, he is troubled and, and in great danger, and he is, he is scared. But what is interesting is that this is not a psalm of lament. He's not saying why, O Lord, or how long, O God. Rather, this this psalm gives us God's people um, hope, and it leads us to praise and, and glory and exaltation. We have this beautiful. Uh, Beautiful prayer of exaltation in verse 5 and 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Isn't it remarkable seeing David here in such a situation and and being able to praise God and exalt God and and express his faith in such a wonderful way? And the question for us today is how, how was he able to do that? And how can we respond in such a way, finding ourselves and afflicted? And how can we learn from David and, and respond in, in the same manner? And we're going to look at this text in three, or divide this text in three sections. First, David finds himself in great danger. And, and as, First, Dave, David finds himself in great danger. But second, he, he clings to God who is greater. And third, by doing so, he is... Foreshadowing he's echoing Christ and his greatest victory, so first we have a great danger, second a greater God, and third, the greatest victory david is David is on a run, he is on the run he's he's most likely hiding in the cave of En-Gedi. and he has been hiding on several occasions in his life, so we don't really know. Which cave? But he is running for his life, and he's running and hiding from his king, the one he he trusted and served and, and loved. And now he finds himself fearing for his life because the king hates him and, and wants him dead. And the words he once said to his dear friend Jonathan ring now really uh, true in his ear, where he said, "There's but one step between." me, and death. This is where David finds himself. This is how he must have felt in this very moment. And we read in verse verse 1 the severity of the situation as he cries out and says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. It is God and God alone who can help him in this situation. Only he is able, and he describes his situation even closer in, in verse 4 when he says, My soul is in the midst of lions. He feels as if he, if, as if he lies down, is laying down amid fiery fiery beasts. This is more than just an uncomfortable situation. And he explains further, these beasts are actually children of man. Look how he describes them. The teeth are spears and arrows, tongues are sharp swords. He took a line out before. A line wouldn't be that that harmful, that, that scary to him. But these men who are after him and their tongues are sharp swords. They, they they are described as people with weapons most devouring, military weapons. And this is this is a very heavy trial for David. And you know why? 'Cause as she as as he looks out as he peeks out the cave and looks into those men's faces, he recognizes them. He he knew those people. Those were his friends, fellow soldiers with whom he worked alongside with, which he commanded. And now they want they, they hate him, they want him dead and, and they are they are after him. He he probably knew their families And their children, he served alongside them, fought battles, and long nights in trenches. trenches. They were like brothers to him, and now he's looking in their faces, and and he sees nothing but hate—hate against him, like lions walking up and down, back and forth, circling around him, trying to kill him. And he's hearing all these lies, all these false charges against him how much must this have hurt his heart and this is not what david expected isn't it when he when he was anointed by samuel to be the next king anointed to be the future king and when he fought against goliath and he he brought victory to the people of israel and all israel welcomed him with open arms and 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 embraced him and loved him. And they sung songs about him. Saul has has slain thousands, but David has slain hundreds of thousands. He was privileged and and respected. He was on a good way and he was a faithful, faithful servant of God. And now he finds himself in a cave hiding, fearing for his life. What a sad and, and sorrowful downfall. From, from the courts of the king to the cave in the wilderness, from, from a palace to a pit. And maybe this has been your experience in your life. I'm sure any experienced and seasoned saint can, in, can talk about those experiences. You probably didn't hide in a cave fearing for your life, but maybe similar to David, everything, everything went well. Before the storms of destruction took over your life, and you didn't even know, or you don't know, what what went wrong. What what did you do to deserve that? You you you've been a faithful Christian, and now people hate you. People talk about about you behind your back, and 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 turn their backs to you. What what do you do? Where do you go for for help? Where do you look for help? You see. All have suffered in this world, and and often you see people they they find safety in within this world. They they look and sometimes they find it. They they are sick and they find doctors. They are homeless and they find a home. They they're perhaps lonely and they find a friend or a spouse. And these are valuable things, blessings from the Lord for us. But but they are never meant to be our ultimate refuge. They they're at best temporary. And And David knows that, and when he loses everything, when he lost everything here in this passage, he does not lose faith. He knows that that his faith is fixed upon a hope that awaits him, and he reveals here his hope, and in verse one he says, "For in you, my soul takes refuge." He reveals his real refuges and and yes he looked for shelter in the cave but he did not trust in the cave how long until they would find him this was only temporary and his ultimate trust is in god i remember when i was a little child growing up in, in in germany um, my friends told me about this bunker out in the field a bunker in the, from the second world war and one day we went out and we found this iron door in an open field and it looked like a bunker. I don't even know whether it was one but when when once we found it, nobody dared to even touch and and to to see if this door would open they were all they were all scared i I was just not interested, but they were all scared um but imagine sitting in a dark bunker. The walls are wet and cold. You can't see what's crawling um, on the walls or the ceilings. I often um, tell here at this point that even in our home, my wife is taking care and gets rid of the spiders. You know? Can you imagine being in a bunker and not seeing what's, what's going on there? And and it's during the war that there are bombs exploding, guns um, are fired, and, and you don't feel safe, do you? You don't know how close the enemy is, and, and they could find you any second. This is not a place you want to call home. This is not a place where you will feel safe. And yet, so often people look for things like that and, and put all their trust in it. But David, in, in, in this time of great distress... He expresses the essence of his faith and, and describes it in a most wonderful way. He see he says, "I, I, I seek protection in the shadow of God's wings." In verse one, "In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge." This is a picture of a hen protecting her chickens, and I'm sure many of us have experienced the safety of a mother mother wings. And and many children when when you come home from school and, and maybe the other kids were mean to you or you fell and you have a bruised knee and, and you come home crying and, and your mom, she takes you and she wraps you around her arms and she says, everything is going to be okay. Who Who cares what the other people are saying about you or the other kids? This is the safest place for a child. In the arms of of his mother or her mother. How much more safe can we feel in the arms of an almighty God? William Plummer wrote, When men hate us, let us seek the love of God. When man reproach us, let us seek the honor that comes from God only. When man is cruel, let us seek God's loving kindness. And this, this is exactly what David is doing. He sought God who is greater than the danger itself brings us to the second point the greater god and in this situation that is rather hopeless and, and and immediate destruction is to be expected he calls out to god and he calls him god most high there are probably hundreds and hundreds of soldiers surrounded surrounding him and and the king himself king saul King Saul is the the highest person in the kingdom, and everybody is listening to his command, and and he is furious and and hates David, and everybody else is following along. Here's King Saul, the highest person in the kingdom, and David calls out and says, God, most high. There's nothing and no one higher than God, and this reminds me always on uh, um, John Knox, the Scottish reformer, who who once preached before the nobles and and kings and queens. And he he, he went up to the pulpit and and it struck him and and he said to himself, "Um, watch out or be aware, you're preaching before the king. And as he went on, it struck him again and he said to himself, but take courage, you're preaching about the king of kings. And this is what David expresses here. Yes, Saul is king and the highest person in the kingdom, but God is most high. His danger is great, but God is greater. And with God on your side, you're always in the majority. And so David appeals to God, who is sovereign and all-powerful, but he doesn't stop here. God is not only powerful, but he's purposeful. And he says, God will fulfill his purpose for me. How comforting it is to trust someone who is sovereign and has a purpose for you. And and David knows there is a reason behind it, even though he doesn't know what it is. And I, I remember talking to a college friend, a non-Christian, and he he would I would talk about him about the providence of God and how, how nothing happens by chance. And, and one day he came back and he asked me, Do you really believe that? and and i expected him to make fun of me or tease me but i said yes that's what i believe and and he said this is such a wonderful thing to believe in so comforting to to believe that and and it truly is we we believe that god has everything under in, in his control and nothing and no one can prevail against the purpose of god the question is do you do you believe that? Do you pray like that, even when you don't feel like it? But, but you know it's true. And this is what David does. John Flavel, he, he said, It is the duty of the saints, especially in times of straits, to reflect upon the performances of providence for them in all the states and through all the stages of the lives. It is the duty of the saints, but it's also a great privilege and a blessing and he he goes on in verse 3 god is not only powerful and purposeful but a god of steadfast love and faithfulness it would be of no good if god if god would be powerful and purposeful but his purpose for your life would be evil and this is often the the, the lie that satan wants to convince us of when we encounter difficult periods in life then we hear these lies that God has forgotten us or, or doesn't care about us, but you can you can rely on God's promise that He will never leave nor forsake you. You can know that His purpose for 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 you are good because He promised it by Himself and and He cannot lie. And so you see that the focus of David shifts and he's no longer um, focused on his circumstances, but but he looks to God. His circumstances haven't changed, but, but his his focus has, and now he's able to exalt God, being reminded of, of who he's, whom he's serving and what a great God he has, greater than any affliction and any enemy in this world. He can't help but sing and praise God. Be exalted, O oh God. Yes, the king himself is after him, but God, the King of kings, is for him, and yes, their purpose is to ruin and to kill him, but God's purpose is to deliver him. And yes, their rage and hatred is set towards him, but God's steadfast love and faithfulness will never fail. And, and do you realize how much sound doctrine matters? Imagine David in the cave without any idea, really, who God is, just a very va- vague idea. And he finds himself in the storm of affliction with very little knowledge. What what should he think? Perhaps he was He is abandoned by God or, or forgotten, or he's punished. God is punishing him, or, or everything is out of God's control. He would simply not not know because he would have no good theology. And it would crush him and, and give way to despair. But here, armed with with good theology, with sound doctrine, and with the Westminster Confession of Faith, he is able to face, face everything. And with that in mind and with the right focus, he now looks at his situation and, and he, he sings praises, and he talks as if he already has been delivered. He says, in verse 6, They set a net for my steps, my soul was bowed down, they dug a pit in my way, but they have have fallen into it themselves. He, he is so certain of his delivery that he speaks in the past tense as if it's already happened. And he says, "My heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, O oh God." And he repeats it: "My heart is steadfast." And and he sings, and he says, "I will make melody and awake my glory before even the the morning." The the, the morning the sun goes up, he will sing to God's praise. And by doing so, he is is foreshadowing, he is giving us a type of Christ. The greatest victory, our third point. We we know the rest of the narrative. We know that David, he will be delivered and he will be king in Israel. and, And these things that he is saying here in verse 7 to 10, they will come true. He will sing to to the praise of God and he will bring peace and prosperity and, and sing praises to God among the nations. They will have a good good phase, a, a good period of life for a certain time. But he is not the deliverer of Israel. He will fail eventually. He will sin and, and, and the, the kingdom will be shattered and destroyed. But the way he's responding in the situation reminds us Still, Jesus Christ, do you remember, in John chapter 12, when, when Jesus was talking about his, his hardest time, the, 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 the time of his greatest distress, he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Be exalted above the heavens." because you have a purpose for for my life and I trust in you. And Jesus Christ, he faced much greater trials and affliction than David. Not only physical enemies. And yet, instead of saying, Father, get me out of here, he was concerned about God's glory. He trusted in God's purpose for his life. And I, all he wanted was for God to be glorified. And so we read later in John chapter 18, when, when all his friends left him, when even his disciples deserted him, and, and he was surrounded by chief priests, by Pharisees, by soldiers, all armed with swords and, and spears, and, and accused with false charges and, and lies, and betrayed by those who followed him, those who who said they were his friends. Who sat at the table with him, now turned the back on him and wanted him to die. We read how he lifted up his face and, and prayed to God. He knew what was coming. He knew he would endure the wrath of God, and how painful this all has been for Jesus. And yet, in the midst of the fiery beast, he did not lose faith. and he set his eyes on God's glory. Jesus had so much more to face. He was about to carry the sin of the world. God's purpose for him was to bear our sins. And Jesus endured it. He he took it up and he went to the cross and he was crucified on our behalf. And and they dug a pit for him, didn't they? They set a net for his steps and his soul was bowed down. But they have fallen into it themselves, because this was the very purpose for his life. This is why he came into this world. The cross, it seemingly looked like a defeat, but it was a victorious conquer of, of sin and death. Jesus rose again from the death and he conquered sin. And this is the greatest victory in human history. Jesus died, but he did not stay dead. And the resurrection is proved that he he was sinless, and he conquered death and sin and now he he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding always on our behalf, his kingdom will never fail, will never be scattered like David's, but Christ's kingdom is is everlasting, and we are citizen, citizen of that kingdom, and we can therefore, in in the midst of all sufferings. Praise Christ, praise God for what He did through Christ, because we already have the greatest victory, and that is our victory we do not we do not have to feel sin and death or any afflictions because we have everlasting life and yes, this doesn't mean that we will never have any afflictions any any troubles, but in face of those we have a we have a we have a Hope that is everlasting. And therefore, we can respond like David, even more so, because David, he looked for the steadfast love and faithfulness that God will send out. And he got a taste of it. But we can look back and and we can see the manifestation of God's love and mercy and goodness on the cross. Jesus is not longer persecuted. As I mentioned, He is in heaven, interceding for us. Let me ask you, and, and before we go to prayer, where where do you hide? Where do you seek refuge? Is it in your friends, world, in the world, and, and family, money, doctors? All these things that are good, but not our refuge. That will fail. This will not hold before a holy God. The safest place you can hide is in Christ. He will never forsake, forsake you. He will never leave you. He conquered death and sin. And Calvin's quote is true. There are many storms of affliction. We will face many obstacles on our way to the kingdom of God. But when we rest in the exalted Christ, we have already the victory. And what a wonderful place to be under the wings of our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful truth that we have seen once again in your scripture, that in Christ we are made righteous, no longer under the curse of sin, but citizen of the heavenly kingdom, and that hidden in Christ we don't have to fear any affliction or tribulation, but can glorify you in the midst of them, because you have delivered us already. Grant us the grace to look to you and to glorify you in all circumstances of our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.